This happened a long time ago. Jonathan's 36 now. He was three at the time. He was walking up to me, kind of toddling up, and I was working on a sermon or something, and I had just slipped on my glasses. Um, because of an eye accident when I was a kid, eye injury, I've had to wear reading glasses since my late teens. So I was putting on my glasses so I could work, and Jonathan came up to me and he said, what are those? I said, they're glasses. He said, what are they for? I said, reading. I didn't realize it, but I had just settled and answered one of the biggest conundrums in Jonathan's life. Because see, he had watched all these older people reading books, and he had books too. The only thing was, he couldn't make any sense out of the words. So he promptly walked into Mary Alice and announced to her that he needed glasses. Well, she didn't know the rest of the conversation. She said, what do you need glasses for? He said, so I'll be able to read. <laughs> and we kind of chuckled at that because Jonathan had the idea that glasses were magic. That if you put glasses on, you could suddenly make sense of the words. Oh, that's a toddler for you. But I really do think that there's a sort of adult equivalent to that. Because when you get to be about, oh, 15, 16, 17, 18 years of age, you sort of get the idea of what you need to make life work. You think about it. You, I'm, you're going to need to meet these kind of people, date these kind of people. You're going to need to have this kind of education. You're going to want this kind of car. And, and you start putting on your magic future glasses, those glasses that say, this is what I need in order to have what I want. But it isn't long before we are disappointed. It's as if life pulls off those magic glasses and steps on them because those things that we thought we saw that we thought we needed are no longer available to us. I want to talk to you about disappointment. This whole series is about choosing whether or not you're going to live your life asking the question why, looking for the reasons why bad things happen. And we've said, and we'll see it today, you know, if you find out the reasons why bad things happen, there'll be bad reasons you won't like them and they won't take you anywhere. You can either live your life asking the question, why did this bad thing happen to me? Or if you're a God follower and believe in the God who has all power, you can turn around and say, God, what next? What purpose do you want to inject into my dysfunction? And it is a dysfunctional, disappointing world. So today, I want to talk honestly about disappointment. I want to talk about that subject. Because I've come to believe that there are three categories of disappointments, and you may see more or less than I do, but these have been three categories of disappointments that have been in my life. The first category is I didn't get what I think I should have. I wanted something, thought I needed something, thought I deserved something, but I didn't get what I thought I should have. In fact, have you ever thought about the etymology of the word disappointment? I mean, think about it. Isn't it interesting we use words all the time, and sometimes we don't think about what we're saying? Disappointment. In other words, you had an appointment, but it got broken. It, got a, it can be broken by something that you've done or something that someone else does to you. It could just be life. You had an appointment with love, but love broke the appointment. You had an appointment with success, but success broke the appointment. You had an appointment with friendship, but something, something broke the appointment. You had an appointment with hope. It was on your calendar. You knew that when you got to this place, you would have hope or friendship or success or whatever it was. But something broke the appointment and left you standing there, and now you are disappointed. So in that first category, I sort of think about, I didn't get what I thought I should get. Maybe you thought you, should, you, you, thought you deserved that promotion, but it went to somebody else. You were disappointed. You thought this person you know, would be there for you, but that person walked out. You've been disappointed. The other two categories of disappointment are kind of interesting because in these two categories, we get what we think we need, but there's a problem with it. I would think the second category of disappointment is something 
or someone I got tricked me or was not what I thought it was or was not who I thought she was or who I thought he was. In other words, I got what I thought I wanted, but it wasn't what I thought it was. You know, there's a lot of salesmanship in our world, isn't there? I mean, all the time we're told we need things, we need people, we need products, and so we pursue those things only sometimes to get them and find out that they're not what we thought they were. I don't know, this is a terrible illustration, and I don't even know why I was watching television, but if you're a baby boomer with ADD, you have to have lots of electronic devices going on all the time, none of which you're paying attention to. And the television was on while I was working, and somehow there was this old movie western that was on. I wasn't watching it, just sort of aware that it was there. The only thing that captured my attention was there was some point in this old movie western when... All the cowboys wound up in Abilene, Kansas. I've lived in Kansas going on 33 years. I was interested in that. Abilene, Kansas. I've been to Abilene. I go up there to the Eisenhower Museum and all that, and I love Abilene. So I'm watching. The only thing that got my attention was, was that behind the Abilene City sign was this majestic group of snow-capped mountains. Right about where Salina would be. <laughs> so I figured they took out the mountains when they put Salina in. <laughs> For a moment, I had this freakish thought of a bumper sticker on the back of my car that says, Ski Salina. <laughs> Can you think about the poor people who've never been to Kansas who said, Happily, man, I want to go there. How many times has life done that to you? Oh, you thought, you, you thought, man, if I get her, man, my dreams are going to come true. And you do get her, but she's not what you thought she was. You do get him. You thought he was Prince Charming. He wasn't the toad that turned into the prince. He was the prince who turned into the toad. <laughs> That's the second category of disappointment. The third one I find a little more intriguing. And that is, I get what I want, but there's a catch. You know, life tells us, hey, here's what you need to do to be successful. And how many, how many people climb the corporate ladder, get to the top, actually get the parking space, get the, get the big paycheck. But there was a catch. They didn't know they were going to have to lose their family. They didn't know they were going to have to lose touch with their kids. That's, that's what, to me, disappointment is. Those three categories. I didn't get what I thought I should get. I got something, but it wasn't what I thought it was, or I got whatever I thought I wanted, but there was a catch, and it turned out to cost more than it was worth. Well, all, that, that's, gonna ha all that's gonna happen to all of us. I mean, I, I'm just guessing here today, if we went around, run around this, this sanctuary or the, or the North Auditorium or those watching online or watching on television, I think we could just sit down and have this conversation with thousands of people. I think we would all say, yeah, I've, I've been through all three of those things. You know, you wouldn't even have to be a God follower to know this. Life is about how you react to disappointments. And all, I've said, all I want to say right now is I've seen people react badly to disappointments. And in almost every case, it is because they get wrapped up with trying to figure out why they were disappointed. And I've seen four responses, four bad responses to disappointments. The first one is it sort of becomes an excuse. Hey, have you learned yet that life asks you questions? All the time. 
Your, your performance in life is constantly being evaluated. I mean, in, in a true sense, where you work or, or where you go to college or where you go to school, your, your performance is constantly evaluated, and that evaluation comes in the form of questions. Have you made your numbers? Are, are you, are you, did you achieve the goals? Have you, have you been successful in the things that we talked about since your last review? How much money do you make? I mean, life just asks you those questions. And the first thing I've watched is that people who've been disappointed and they get shut down because they're constantly wrapped up in trying to think through the reasons for it, oftentimes it'll become the answer to those questions. Well, I don't perform up to expectations, but you, you see, I was disappointed back here. You know, I, I, I didn't graduate, and I should have graduated, and I borrowed all that money to go to college, and it just didn't finish up because and you have to understand, back here somewhere, I was disappointed. Life asks you questions. Hey, turning 40 will ask you questions. Are you where you're supposed to be at this place? I mean, all I'm trying to say is life asks us all questions. And who among us wants to get shut down by giving the excuse, well, I was disappointed? The second response that I see sometimes is <laughs> people will play and replay their disappointment. You ever meet anyone like this? I mean, it's like their life just went frozen when they were disappointed. And they will tell you the story of their life up to that point, and then boom. And it doesn't matter whether you catch them when they're 20 or 30 or 50, they play and replay all the bad stuff that's happened to them, and they're locked into the past. Third negative response I've seen to disappointment is anger. Anger towards God. I no longer believe in God because I thought God would give this to me and I prayed to ask for it. God didn't give it to me. Therefore, I'm an atheist. That's why I'm an agnostic or an atheist. I don't believe in God anymore. Most of us would not pour out our anger on God. We tend to pour out our anger on other people. Do you know what I've discovered that's really peculiar? Sometimes people who have been disappointed in life will pour out their anger on people who haven't disappointed them. Strange, isn't it? It, it's not that they want to hurt the people who haven't hurt them. It's just that they feel the pain and they're locked in the past and their anger causes them to lash out at other people. We have a moniker for those people, don't we? We call them difficult people. You know what? I don't think New Springers will get caught in those first three traps. I just don't think you'd pick New Spring if you were the kind of person that would give an excuse for all the questions. I don't think you're the kind of person that would get angry at God. I don't think that you're the kind of person who would play and replay the things that have happened to you. But this fourth one might get us. The fourth bad response to disappointment is that response that says, well, I'm just going to have to lower my expectations now. You know, I, I, had, I had these magic glasses on and I saw this bright future for me, but then I got disappointed. And so, you know what, I'm just going to like put myself in a place where I won't be hurt like that again. It's like the old Peanuts cartoon where Charlie Brown is shooting arrows into the fence and then drawing targets around where the arrows have embedded themselves. And Linus tells him, I don't think that's the idea, but Charlie said, yeah, but it's so much easier to hit the target that way. <laughs> See, that's what I worry about for you and me. But the thing about it is, if, if we don't live our lives locked up looking for the reasons for our disappointments, if instead as God follows, we say, wait a minute, yeah, I was disappointed, I mean, life didn't give me what I thought I should have, and, and yeah, I got lied to and tricked, and yes, there were some things that I went after, and I found out they cost me more than what, I, than what they were worth, but God is still in my life. And you know what? Instead of my looking back on why, how, how and why I got hurt, I want to look forward and say, God, what is it you want to do in my life, even though I have been disappointed? 
And a woman who will do that will say things like this. My dream may be dead, but I'm not. You know what? I do think, and please don't get, don't get me wrong. I mean, as long, because here's the thing. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a setback. In a setback, you just get slowed down. Your dream is still out there, but you got slowed down. That's not what I'm talking about. In disappointment, I'm talking about when your dream gets taken away from you. And there are, there are reasonable times in our lives in which we must have a feeling of closure because that which we thought we were going to have is no longer available to us. But when a person who looks to God for purpose comes to that point of closure, that person says, well, that dream may be dead, but I'm not dead, and God's not dead, and God still wants to do things in my life. Or a man who looks that way, looks at life that way, he may come to the conclusion that we came to in the first talk that says, I can't make sense of things, but God can make sense of things. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you about being disappointed and how to deal with disappointment and look for God's purpose. I want to tell you a story from the Bible. And if you know the Bible, if you grew up in church, you know this person real well. But this is a story from his life that you might not know. His name is David. And David has a beautiful dream to do a beautiful thing. The reason I want to go here is I think we're not really surprised when we want to do something really ratty and it doesn't work. But how many of us wanted to do something beautiful and it got taken away? That's why I want to pick this story. David is in his house, and he's got a beautiful idea. I mean, David has seen how some foreign powers will build temples for their idol gods that aren't gods at all. And David is thinking, we have the true God in Israel. We have the real God. And you know what? That sacred box, that Ark of the Covenant, that 42-inch cubic box made of acacia wood covered with gold with two cherubim who face, that face each other. David said the, the Ark of God is in a tent, and that's incongruous. That shouldn't be the case. David is like, I want to build the most beautiful building in the history of the world for the only God who is the true God. David is like, I want to build the most spectacular building in the world. For Jehovah God. David calls his pastor. Hey, Pastor Nathan, would you mind coming by the palace today? I just I got something on my head. I can't get it get in my, my mind. I can't get it out of my head. I need to talk to you about this. So David lays it out before Nathan. I mean, this is in the, in the scriptures. I mean, David said, I want to do this. I want to build this great temple. <laughs> you know, in our culture today, we talk about no-brainers. Man, Nathan thought he was listening to a no-prayer. I mean, Nathan hears David, and Nathan's like, well, I don't even have to talk to God about this. I mean, he tells David, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. <laughs> even pastors can get way out in front of God. I mean, Nathan's like hearing this, wow, David, that's great. Rock on, man, do it. Let's light this candle. Let's do this thing. I mean, you, God says, yes, I don't even have to pray about it and, and just go build this thing, and God is with you. Man, Pastor Nathan gets back to his house, and God is like, you know, uh, <laughs> I didn't tell you any of that stuff you told David. In fact, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to go back and tell David. The answer is no. He can't do it. Now, for you and me, that might not sound like a huge disappointment. I mean, the king doesn't get to build a building. But you have to understand, this is what David thinks he's been put on the planet to do. 
I mean, when David dies, he doesn't want his obituary to read that he killed Goliath or started a great nation. He wants his obituary to read on the headlines, the bannerhead of the Jerusalem Times, king who made God the greatest building in the world, the greatest temple has died today. David feels like that is his purpose. What happens when you get shut down when you're trying to do a beautiful thing? I mean, David, he wouldn't want to build a casino. He, he wouldn't want to build a house of prostitution. I mean, he wasn't even, I mean, nothing wrong with this, but he wasn't, wasn't even wanting to build a, an amusement park. This was a temple for God. It's a beautiful thing. How do you deal with it when someone or something or just life itself shuts you down when you're trying to do a beautiful thing? It's like, well, God, all I wanted to do was to be a good wife and have a godly marriage. And God, all I wanted to do was to be a godly dad and raise up godly children. God, all I wanted to do was to start a company that would provide employment for people who need employment. And my product was actually going to add value to people's lives. God, I don't understand. Why Why would I go belly up in a company like that? You know? Truth of the matter is, when we want to do a beautiful thing, there are a couple things we expect from God. We expect his assistance. I mean, after all, if I want to do a beautiful thing, then I expect God to help. And you know what? From time to time, we're not going to see happen what we thought was going to happen. But I will tell you this. I really think right now is a good time for us to pull over to the side of the road and to give God thanks for all the times that he did assist us. I don't know about your nature, but God can help me 500 times and tell me no one time, and all I can think about is the time he told me no. Do you know the name Ebenezer? Or maybe do you hear about it in church? Do you know what the name Ebenezer means? This is really beautiful. Samuel, the prophet of God, led the people to put a memorial up to God, and the name, the Hebrew name was Ebenezer. Read this with me. He named the stone Ebenezer saying, quote, the Lord has helped us to this point. Now, we're talking about disappointment today, but I don't know about you. I think it's just good for us to give God glory for all the times he has helped us. Don't you? I was preaching in North Carolina the other day, and, and this magnificent choir, magnificent orchestra began to do a song, and the song was called Safe Thus Far. And I sat there and wept all the way through that song because I thought, you know what? There were times in my life I didn't think I'd make it, but God helped me make it. But there are times when we want to do a beautiful thing, and we accept, expect God's assistance, and it doesn't happen. And there's a second thing that we expect from God. We expect God... Uh, we expect God to endorse it. You know, like, you ever, like, have a parking, you go into a parking garage and they give you a ticket and you're like, you have to go get it stamped. You know, I need you to, I need you to endorse my ticket. And that's what we do with God sometimes. We want to do a beautiful thing. So God, I really, really don't even need you to think here. God just needs you to endorse my beautiful idea. You know what the problem with that is? Sometimes we're playing God. It's almost like, well, if I have a beautiful idea, God has to endorse my idea. Do you ever want to be God for an afternoon? I've thought about it. I mean, you know, I've thought a whole lot of, whole lot of power is going to waste up there. <laughs> if I could be God for an afternoon, I'd fix so many things. Boy, I'd fix this person. I'd fix that situation. I'd fix that problem. Boy, if I could be God for one afternoon, I'd tell you what, this would be a better world. Oh, really? 
You know what I, you know what would happen if I could be God for an afternoon? Talk about the butterfly effect. I'd fix one thing and break a hundred. Because I can't see the future, and I only see a tiny slice of life. And, and here's, the, here's the issue. How do I know that my beautiful thing doesn't get in the way of your beautiful thing? But that's the issue. We, we want God to just endorse our beautiful thing. Well, in any event, God had to tell David, no. No, you can't do it. Now, if the story ended right there, boy, this would be a depressing weekend, wouldn't it? But it doesn't because, see, here's the thing. God told Nathan, told Nathan, go tell David he can't build the temple. But there are two things I want you to tell him. And for every child, every daughter, every son of God who is disappointed in life, God wants you to hear two things. These are good. God said, go back and tell David he can't build the temple. But here's what he can do. God said to Nathan, go back and tell David that he can draw the plans with my direction. And tell David he can collect the materials for the temple. See, a temple was a two-generation thing. Solomon, David's son, would actually build the temple. But God said to David, go back and tell him here's what he can do. Now, what is the point that I want to get to here? Because I have lived this in my life. Here it is. I don't want to get so fixated on the doors that get closed that I'm oblivious to the doors that God is opening. Because what God is saying is, look, when a door closes, you're my daughter, you're my son. God is saying, maybe you don't get to do that, but here's what I am going to let you do. In mean, my 33rd year here at New Spring, I'm sure I've told pieces of this story, but I've never told the whole integrated story because, to be honest with you, I never put a couple of pieces together until I was working on this message. You know, I started preaching when I was 16, started pastoring when I was 20, and I always, I mean, honestly, between you and me, I had a vision that God was going to allow me to be part of a great church, and I don't mean like a vision that you see, just had a, I mean, even when I was like 18 years old, it was like God was saying to me, I'm going to let you be part of a great church. Well, I had my magic glasses on, and I could see. I had an idea of where I was going to do it. I'm a Texan. It's going to be in Texas. And when I turned 24, the opportunity of my lifetime came up. It started off with sadness. I'm, I was, at that point, I was serving in my home church. I was my dad's associate pastor, and a contemporary of my father's called one Sunday morning and he told my dad, he said, I have a very bad sinus headache and I'm not able to preach today. And he said, is there any way that Mark could come and cover for me? So dad called me and he said, can you go preach? Well, I knew this pastor, I'd known him since I was a little boy. I knew where his church was. He had built, they had built a brand new church plant up in Keller, which is, let me just say this, in case you don't know the Dallas-Fort Worth area very well, there's a swath all the way across the north side of the Metroplex that starts with Wataga, north of Fort Worth, and then Keller, and then um, Southlake, and Grapevine, and Colleyville, and and even over into North Dallas. I mean, just like the population has just exploded there. And this church was on a main highway in Keller, so I knew where it was. And so dad said, can you go cover for this pastor today? And I said, sure, absolutely. So I went and I preached for him. Unfortunately, he did not have a sinus headache. He had a brain tumor. 
and over, and he didn't last very long. I think it was just a matter of three or four months. And during that time, I went over to cover for him a couple more times. Well, after his funeral, I really didn't give a whole lot of thought to that church other than to pray for him. But several months later, I got a phone call from a man who was the head of the pulpit committee of this church. Now, for those of you who don't have a church background and you come from business, a pulpit committee is a headhunting group. They're basically a group, an internal group within the church looking for the next pastor. So I got a, a man's name was Pearson. I remember that. He called me on the phone and he said, Pastor Mark, I need to tell you about something. He said, we have received over 55 resumes for pastor of this church and we have had all these candidates and we have narrowed it down to two and you were one of them. Well, that was a surprise to me because I never sent a resume. I didn't apply for that. I didn't even know they were... I didn't know about any of it. He said, we've narrowed it down to two. And he named me, and he named a friend of my dad's who was also a contemporary of my father's. And he said, we've narrowed it down to the two of you. But he said, frankly, he said, I know the feeling of the church and the community. We're all leaning toward you. Oh, I put on my magic glasses. I can see the future. I'm not only a Texan, I'm a Fort Worth boy. See, there's a lot of difference between Fort Worth and Dallas. For all of you who don't know, in Dallas County, it's sushi. In, Fort, in Tarrant County, it's bait. That's, and I am a Fort Worth boy. I mean, in Dallas, people that don't have money act like they do. In Fort Worth, people who have money act like they don't. So I, I am a Fort Worth boy. And I'm like looking at this. And it was 35 years ago, but I could see the future. I mean, I knew that area was about to, it already was exploding. And I thought, God, I, I, I can see now that you've, you've placed me here strategically. This is, you're going to put me in the fastest growing area of the, one of the fastest growing parts of the country. And I had a 30-year plan. Well, during the next few weeks, this church would bring me in to speak. I would speak. And they were so excited. You could feel the excitement that I was coming. In fact, there was a prominent family in the church. They had a daughter who was getting married. I performed the wedding. I mean, people were talking about it as though I were there. Finally, and this is in late January of 1982, I had a phone call from Mr. Pearson again. He said, Pastor Mark, he said, we're in total agreement. You're our next pastor. We're looking forward to you coming. Everybody's so excited about you coming. I was excited about going. We talked for a few moments about the church, and, and he said, oh, one final thing. He said, um, you are 32, aren't you? I said, I guess I've always looked old. I said, no, I'm 24. <clears throat> Man, the gasp on the other end of the line was palpable. That was in January. It just went radio silent. I found out later all kinds of things. I mean, it just freaked everybody out. I was 24. I, they actually interviewed the president of the college that I attended who was like a local spiritual legend in the community, and he tried to beg with it. He said, look, I know Mark is 24, but it, this isn't true. But he said, I'm telling you, it's like getting the first-round draft pick. He said, you're going to want this guy. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but they just couldn't get over the fact that I was 24. And finally, in April of that year, I found out they went another direction. That was probably the biggest disappointment of my life. Do you know what I hadn't put together until I was working on this talk? The first time I heard from this church was May of 1982. But I didn't want to hear it. I wasn't interested. Kansas, they may have mountains. I had never been to the state of Kansas. 
I'm a Texan. I was so disappointed. I didn't want to hear it. And for three years, I tried to find creative ways of saying I wasn't really interested. But in 1985, God let us be here. And we've watched the church grow from 350 on a weekend to now almost 7,000. I remember, <laughs> this is the story that stands out to me. This has been a couple years ago. We, it was like the first time we'd reached 6,000 on a day that wasn't Easter or Christmas Eve. And we'd had a marvelous weekend. We had one of those new spring weekends where a lot of people give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. It's been a very exciting day. Marilyn and I had to drive to Fort Worth that afternoon. Now we've driven all the way down I-35. If the Lord would move, I tell you, one of the things I would do if I was God for an afternoon is move Oklahoma out of the way. I don't have anything against Oklahoma. Just make my trip a whole lot shorter. <laughs> so we were coming into the Metroplex on I-35, and, I, and being the Texan I am, I'm like hungry for barbecue, and I'm thinking, there's a Spring Creek barbecue over there in Keller, in, in Keller on the main highway. And so we went over there. But that put us on the highway, and I wound up passing that church. I hadn't thought about it in years. I hadn't seen it in years. You know what? It looked just like it looked 35 years ago. I mean, it wasn't any bigger. They hadn't built any more buildings. I mean, it was just, and I found out later, they don't even have a website. Now, listen, I didn't hear God say this, but it was almost like the Holy Spirit was like sitting behind the driver's seat saying, my idea was a lot better, wasn't it? I don't want to get so fixated on the doors that close that I miss the doors that God is opening. Because if you've gone through disappointment today, God is saying, okay, maybe you won't get to do that, but here's what you are going to get to do. I won't tell you that God has something better because sometimes we lose something so precious that it can't be replaced. But I will tell you this, whenever life closes a door, God will always have something very special. See, God doesn't... <laughs> He doesn't leave his sons and daughters on the planet with nothing to do. Am I talking to anybody that you've just, free, you've just frozen life? You've punched pause because you got disappointed and you're like, well, that door's closed and I don't know what I'm gonna do, but wait a minute. God says, I will open a door. And now the second thing, because not only did God tell David, here's what I am gonna let you do. I love this even better. This is really good. Just buckle your seat because this is so good. God said to David, you're not gonna be able to build a house for me but here's what I'm going to do for you. Now, let's, let's read this together. I'm, I'm, I'm now over in um, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Nathan, the prophet, came back to tell David, furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. Now, it's a play on words because David has a house. He lives in a palace. So God's not like, well, David, you can build a house for me, so I'm going to build a house for you, you know, with roof and windows and all that kind of thing. It was house in the terms of a dynasty. Like, for instance, if you study history, you know there's the house of Windsor. No, read this with me. Let's read the whole thing again. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. Now, I've enjoyed studying the dynasties of kings and emperors through the history of the world. But I will tell you this, nobody has a forever kingdom except the family of David. And God said to David, I'm not gonna let you build a house for me, but here's what I'm gonna do for you. I am gonna take one of your descendants and I'm gonna put him on the throne and he is gonna rule forever. And about 950 years later, 
The angel Gabriel shows up to one of David's great, 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 great granddaughters named Mary. And the angel said, the baby you're going to have is both God and human at the same time. And he is going to rule and reign forever and ever. Now think about this. Ultimately, the building that Solomon built lasted about 300 years. But the house that God built for David is going to last forever and ever. When Jesus is on the throne, he will rule and reign 10 million times 10 million years. All in all, I'd say David came out ahead, wouldn't you? Okay, we said a moment ago, I don't want to get so fixated on the doors that close that I don't see the doors that God is opening. What do we learn here? I don't want to get so fixated on what I've lost that I can't see the grace that is in God's hand to give me what I don't have. My favorite American is Abraham Lincoln. I love his story. I've read everything I can read. I've read every biography I could read. I used to tell Lincoln stories all the time. And the New Springers were so nice to give me gifts. My office began to look like a museum. It's true. <laughs> but I love Lincoln. A couple months ago on First Wednesday, I shared a story with our church. It's my favorite Lincoln story. I just don't know that there was any human in America more disappointed than Abraham Lincoln. Do you? I mean, his whole life was disappointment. When you see that aged face of Lincoln, I think so much of that is disappointment. He was disappointed in love, disappointed in business, disappointed in politics, lost two of his boys. He was a man who was, who was frequent to disappointment. Well, the story that I would tell you now comes from his mid to late 20s. Lincoln decided that maybe he should open a store. And with a friend, they opened up a store. He didn't know anything about retail. And it wasn't long before their store went belly up. And they were closing it down. It was the last day the store was open. They were getting ready to declare bankruptcy. In fact, they were packing stuff up on the inside. Lincoln, with that lanky frame of his, was sitting out on the wooden porch of the store, kind of with his chair back and his foot up on a box, when suddenly an old wagon drove up a family of poor, dirt poor in rags, drove up in front of Lincoln's store, and the man got out, and he said to Lincoln, hey, we tried to come here and farm and couldn't make it. Now we're trying to get back east and go home, but he said, we don't have the money to get home, and is there anything I've got that you would like to buy? Lincoln was like, well, I don't want to buy anything. I can't sell anything. And the man said, well, I'll tell you what, I've got a barrel in the back of the wagon. It's a good barrel, and, and it's got some stuff in it. i tell you what I'll do. I'll just sell you the barrel and all its contents for 50 cents. Earlier that day, Lincoln had said to his partner, you know, it's disappointing to go out of business, but I wouldn't be so unhappy about going out of business if... If I could do one thing, if I could just, I'd love to practice law, but I don't have any education. And he said, I'd love to just have a copy of Blackstone's commentary on the English law. Some of your lawyers, you know, Blackstone is still pressed in certain circumstances. It is the foundation of American law. And Lincoln said, I, if, I, if I could just have a copy of Blackstone's commentary on the English law, I, I wouldn't be so miserable. But he said, there's no way in the world I can afford it. And he's sitting out there thinking about that, and this farmer rolls up with him, and he says, I'll sell you this barrel for 50 cents. And Lincoln reaches into his pocket, and according to Lincoln, in his words, he said, I took out the last 50 cents that I had. 
You know, he had seen the man's wife. She was frail and emaciated and pale and hungry, and his heart went out to her. Lincoln said, I reached in my pocket and took out the last 50 cents that I had, and I bought the barrel. And now the barrel sits in the front of the store, and his partner's laughing at him, making fun of him. What a stupid thing to do. We're going out of business. You took the last 50 cents that you had. You bought a barrel. We got barrels here. That's our problem. As the evening wore on, Lincoln decided that he would paw around in the barrel and see what was in there. Well, sure enough, there was nothing in there but rags. <laughs> the family was dressed in rags, and the stuff in the barrel was what they'd gotten rid of. Rags. But as he fished around toward the bottom of the barrel, his hand hit something hard, solid. It was a book, and he reached up and pulled it out, and it was a volume of Blackstone's commentary on the English law. Lincoln said, it was at that moment I looked up into the heavens and thought, my creator has made me for a special purpose. And then he made what is my favorite quote from Lincoln. And if you're young here, you need to hear this quote. Lincoln said, at that moment, he said, I will study and prepare myself and someday my time will come. And today, when you think of the term American president, the first person standing in the queue is Abraham Lincoln. Why? Because although life took so much away from him, he was not oblivious to the grace of God to put something in his life. And for all my brothers and sisters who've been disappointed, and you didn't get what you thought you should have, or you got it and it wasn't what it pretended to be, or you got it and you found out that there was a hidden catch, if you will turn away from asking why and turn toward God and say, what now? You will hear God say the same two things that he said to David. Here's what I am going to let you do. And here's what I want to do for you. Grace. That's what grace means. Do you understand the difference between mercy and grace? It's a huge difference. Sometimes we put them together as though they're synonyms. It's not. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. And God is saying to all disappointed children, I want to give you my grace. You know, I was thinking about this. The ultimate grace of God is salvation, isn't it? This world is a disappointing place. In fact, this world is why we have so much disappointment. It's a broken place and we're broken people. And you know what? I don't know. Hey, I hope you have everything you want in life. But I got to be honest with you. When you leave, it's going to be disappointing. When you leave this life. You're going to get sick, die, have an accident. I mean, God forbid any of that, but it will happen. We'll leave on disappointing terms. But if you are willing to come to God and receive his grace, he has a deal on the table right now that supersedes all disappointment. Here's what God did. He took his only son, Jesus, God and human at the same time. God had to find a way to deal with all the things that we've done wrong. We call it mistakes. Hey, sin's not mistakes. Mistake is leaving the milk out overnight. Sin is a treason against God. God took all of our sins and he placed it on Jesus so that when Jesus hung on the cross, the way God looked at it, all of Mark Hoover's sins were placed on Jesus. When Jesus said, it is finished, the way God looked at it, all of Mark Hoover's sins have been paid for in all of yours too. They took Jesus off the cross. Three days after he died, he walked out of the grave under his own power as 
victor over death, hell, and the grave. And right now, God has an offer on the table. God is saying, look, if you will trust my son Jesus to be your savior, I will wash away all your sins and I will give you everlasting life. Why? Because he is a grace-giving God. He comes to disappointed people and says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I put my son on a cross and I raised him from the dead and he's king of heaven. If you will believe in him and ask, you can have the gift of everlasting life. How about it? Hey, I love a good deal, but I've never found a better deal than that. My sin placed on Jesus, his righteousness placed on me. I'm going to do something as we close out this message. I want to pray a prayer. A prayer that asks, would you just bow your head with me, North Auditorium, South Auditorium, even if you're watching on television or online, unless you're driving, I just want to pray a prayer with you, and you, I'll pray it slowly, and you can decide whether you want to say these things to God. You ready? Dear God, I am a sinner, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to adopt me into your family. I've had a lot of disappointments. But I don't, I don't want to miss your grace. Thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hang with me one more second. Maybe five, ten. If you just pray with me to receive Christ, I have a gift I want to give you. There's a gift bag. It's got the same Bible I preach from. It's got a book I wrote that answers a lot of questions, some other cool stuff. All you got to do is take a talk to us card back to any info center. Nobody will hassle you, stalk you, engage you in conversation if you don't wish it so. All you got to do is say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give you the gift bag. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next weekend.